This is Tavis Smiley, and I'm delighted to have you along with us in this uh, hour, our final hour of today's program. In this hour, two conversations on the B side of this hour, award-winning children's book author uh, Ty Allen Jackson joins us for a conversation about the importance of a representation in literacy for black children and just the overall importance of black literacy for black children. Uh, and um, I look forward to that conversation now that... Uh, School is back in session. No better time uh, for a conversation about black youth and literacy. Uh, we commenced this hour, though, in conversation with our resident physician, Dr. Robert Drummond, who is back to provide some insights into uh, some of the factors contributing to this resurgence of COVID-19, say it ain't so, and to offer, I, I hope, some advice on safeguarding ourselves and our loved ones, even as uh, this uh, uh, this this COVID-19 thing uh, continues disproportionately to impact people who look like you and me. I digress on that for the moment. Dr. Robert Drummond, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me back. It's good to have you back on the program. So we've all been seeing and reading about this, and, and for that matter, um, some of us know people who have uh, uh, contracted, um, come down with COVID-19 in recent days. Indeed, the First Lady, Jill Biden, uh, it was announced, I guess, 36 hours ago, has uh, contracted once again um, COVID-19. Unless something happened by, while I was on the air, have been on the air. Um, the president, uh, we were told, does not have COVID-19, but the first lady, in fact, does. And this is not her first time getting it. So um, it's back, uh, Dr. Drummond. What say you, sir? Um, I say that it never left. <laughs> somehow, somehow I knew you were going to say, say that. that. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. You know, listen, listen, I've been steadfast in my, um, you know, kind of following this and understanding of what's going on. As, as I've mentioned, I think a few times on the show here, um, you know, SARS-CoV-2 virus and COVID-19 are here to stay. Mm. Um, it's going to continue to come in waves. It is a new coronavirus that is here to stay and hopefully becomes just another cold or another bad cold. Um, but it's not going anywhere, and it's going to keep making its ebbs and flows that will not necessarily correlate with winter. Yep. Um, that's, the, that's the thing that differentiates SARS-CoV-2 from other uh, respiratory viruses is it doesn't really care about the winter. It, it's around all the time, and will just keep making its presence known. Yep. How, how do we wrap our brains around that unique difference? I, I hear the point you're making. Uh, it is different than, than, than the flu, than pneumonia. How do we process that 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 distinct reality? Well, I think, you know, the biggest thing that I try to do when I talk to patients and when I talk to groups of staff, et cetera, is to get them to understand, take a deep breath and say, hey, two things. As you've heard me say multiple times, the sky is not falling. Mm -hmm. But the second thing I say is this is the new normal. And so these types of viruses, they come, they happen, they usually will come and they kind of die out. This one continue to mutate and morph into a form that will allow it to be have low mortality, have very high contagiousness, I guess you would say, and we call it an R-naught. Mm -hmm. um, it can spread very easily, doesn't cause a whole lot of damage, and that's how it survives. And so what I want everyone to really wrap their heads around is the fact that this is the new norm. The virus isn't going anywhere, but at some point we've got to start looking at it like another upper respiratory virus and accept it as another respiratory upper respiratory virus mm -hmm. um, in order to get back to some semblance of normal society. I take your point that what makes this different than than a cold or the flu is that it's not uh, confined uh, principally to the winter months. And yet as we enter the fall season, 
various indicators such as COVID hospitalizations, fatalities, and wastewater data are all on the rise. So I, I, I put that out there to ask, while it's not confined to winter, how much worse does it portend to be when it hits us in the winter, if that makes sense? No, it, it does make sense. Um, I'll tell you, the thing about what we're seeing right now, is it's twofold. One, so the new variants that are out, so the main two variants, CG5 and BA286, um, have a number of mutations. Um, that exists from the previous variant last summer, XBB15. Um, right now, uh, the newest variant, BA286, has about 30 mutations compared to XBB15. So you add these new mutations in the spike protein with just the waning immunity that naturally happens over time, and that's kind of why we're seeing this right now. As to your question of how much worse is it going to get during the winter, I think what you are going to have is now we've seen, we saw that last winter, we're going to see that again this winter, other viruses have found a way to live with SARS-CoV-2. Mm. If you note, back in three years ago, no other viruses were, were around. The flu was almost completely vanished. It was almost all SARS-CoV-2 because as it competed for real estate, i.e. our lungs, our upper respiratory uh, system, it was out-competing with all of those other viruses. Now it's found a way to have a nice symbiotic relationship with those other viruses. What does that mean? It means we're going to have a rough winter. There's mm. going to be flu. There's going to be upper respiratory viruses like RSV, and there's going to be SARS-CoV-2. And I think that's what we're going to feel when we feel the brunt of this during the winter. Wow. When we come forward, I want to get to that point he just raised a moment ago, uh, as he termed it, uh, our waning immunity, uh, the waning immunity of the public uh, to uh, the vaccines uh, that we well to the virus. We have all kinds of vaccines now, as it were, but there is a waning immunity. Um, that's a scary term. We'll get him to unpack that when we come forward with Dr. Robert Drummond on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Uh, I, I didn't like that phrase, Dr. Drummond. Waning immunity. Um, <laughs> Uh, talk, talk to me, please. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to scare everyone with saying waning immunity. Let me let me clarify that. Mm-hmm. Uh, our immune system is complex. Um, it's complex and it's contained of what we call B cells, T, uh, T cells, um, helper T cells, cytokine T cells. Um, but also, you have antibodies. So the antibodies' jobs are like circulating police officers, and their job is to kind of go around, do surveillance and see, does it see something foreign? If it sees something foreign, it attaches to it, starts to clump around it, and then other immune systems say, hey, look at those police officers attacking that one guy. Let's go help, okay? What happens in waning immunity is that the B cells are still there, the T cells are still there, but over time, when those police officers or the antibodies, when they're circulating around and they don't see anything, they're like, all right, let's go on break. And they go on break, and they may go on vacation, and you start seeing those circulating antibody levels drop down. Well, those circulating antibodies are what's really responsible for that initial kind of slowing of the virus from replicating. So if the virus can get slowed and basically surrounded by these antibodies and it can't replicate, then that's how you can get infected with the virus but not get sick. So when we say waning immunity, we're really talking about these B cells. I'm sorry, we're really talking about these antibodies, these antibodies, will start to just kind of reduce over time. They drop down. On my Instagram page, I have a beautiful diagram showing this over time. And that happens with either 
natural immunity or immunity after infection, as well as with immunity after vaccination. Either way, those antibody levels drop. So when you get exposed to the virus, the body kind of has to play catch up and revving those antibodies up again before it can neutralize those viruses. Mm. The faster you rev those antibodies up, the faster you, rev, you can neutralize the virus and the lesser the extent of the infection that you're going to have. Mm. Um, speaking of vaccines, what's new on the vaccination front? So, yeah, so the CDC has announced there is a new vaccine that's been released. That vaccine is really based largely on the XBB15 that was circulating last summer. And so the jury is actually still out on saying, how well is that vaccine going to protect us against EG5 and BA286 that's floating around right now? What I tell everyone is that any immunity is better than no immunity. Right now, most of us have immunity from either previous infection or vaccination or both. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Anything that we can do to rev up those circulating antibodies, right, to help neutralize that virus, it's going to be a good thing. Even if they don't bind to it perfectly, having a lot of them is helpful. And so that's why even a booster of the original vaccine, even a booster of the, the combination vaccine that they created last year, any of those is going to rev up those circulating antibodies and help neutralize that virus. Even if it isn't perfect, it's still better than having a lower level of antibodies. And so that's the reason that I really say, hey, if you're immunocompromised, if you're high risk, you should really consider getting this um, this new booster or the vaccine sooner rather than later. Mm. I'm thinking of all those persons listening right now. Let me back up. All those persons, uh, I'm not talking about black folk, listening right now who are, I can I, I can hear and see some in my own family um, kind of thumbing their nose at you, Dr. Drummond, and me, uh, saying the following, see, I'm still here. I didn't get that vaccine. I didn't get that booster. I don't trust it. It's not necessary. Y'all Negroes are tripping, and I didn't get it, and I'm still here. And to that, Dr. Drummond, you say what? I'll be honest with you. I have family members, and I've been doing this for years. I have family members that didn't get the vaccine until they got infected, mm -hmm. and they got a bad case of COVID-19. And I literally asked them, why didn't you get it earlier? Earlier, You hear me on the news. Mm -hmm. You hear me on Tavis Valley. You've heard me talking about this on my nighttime fireside chat for years. And their honest answer was, just didn't trust it. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be people that, that feel that way, and I understand it. And as much education as we do, uh, they may never get around that. What I will say is this. No virus has ever been, I don't want to say eliminated, but neutralized without the combination of both vaccine and natural immunity. Mm -hmm. I've always been a big proponent of we need to recognize natural <laughs> immunity. We need to recognize natural immunity after infection and understand the role that it plays in neutralizing a virus like this. And so it is always going to be the combination of vaccination and immunity after infection. There are 100% a lot of people that got this virus. Many of them didn't even know they had it. Many of them did very, very, very well. Um, and that's to the tune of what? 98.3%. There's also 1.7% of people that got it that died. Yeah. Not, not hospitalization, not, they died. And so you're basically saying, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go with my immunity. And again, most of us have not been treating our bodies well. We don't eat right. We don't exercise. We don't have great immune systems. And you're saying, I'm going to take that risk with my immune system and see this virus whenever I see it, 
without that vaccination, and you can take that risk. And what we tell everyone is you've got a 1.7% chance of dying, 98.3% chance of being okay. And that's just the reality of it. I don't try to butter it up, make it seem better or worse. Those are the numbers. As you know, I just follow the data. Yeah. Um, let, let me uh, say something that may be a little hardcore. This, this, is, a, this is straight no chaser. Uh, so at least I, at least I warned you. Um, I look at things sometimes on the news. Um, speaking of uh, your comment about being on the news and your family hearing and seeing you, they should have known better. Uh, they got a resident physician in their own family. Uh, but uh, I look at uh, certain news stories at times and I say, how did somebody die in that? It ain't like you didn't know it was coming. And I'm talking now about hurricanes and other things that that we are warned about. Uh, this radio station, this radio show rather, is heard across the station, across the nation. I can't talk. Try it again, Tavis. This radio program is heard across the nation on a variety of stations, but we're flagshipped here in Los Angeles. Um, and in L.A., we have these things every now and then called earthquakes. Now, we don't always know when an earthquake is going to hit. But a, a hurricane, you, you, you watch it on television. You know it's coming your way. How did you die in the hurricane? And I can give other examples of things that make no sense to me. You know it was coming. They told you it was coming. They told you what to do, and you died anyway. I, I don't. I don't quite get that. I, I raised that to ask, and you see where I'm going with all these indicators we're looking at right now: um, an increase in hospitalizations, wastewater data uh, on the rise. People are still dying in 2023. People are still dying from COVID-19. All life has value. All lives are precious, and yet some people are still stuck on stupid. That's what I don't get. It's like you, there should be no reason for people just to be dying randomly in 2023 from COVID-19. But that's just me. I ain't got. I ain't got to have a good. I ain't got to have a good bedside manner, Doctor Drummond, because I'm not a physician. So you can respond <laughs> in, in a much kinder, gentler way, perhaps. Right. Well, I, I always try to have empathy when it comes to individuals that. Um, that did not want to get vaccinated. I, I, I listen to them. I understand their point. Um, and I, what I will say is it's a combination of things. For, for many, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's willful neglect. For many, it's, um, it's a bit of arrogance in terms of this can't happen to me. Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of people, it's the nature of SARS-CoV-2 itself. Remember, the thing that made this virus so different and so weird and so wonky and so hard to control is that what we call the heterogeneous expressive expressivity what do i mean by that there's some people that get it and they don't even know they have it mm -hmm. they don't even have COVID 19 they have sars cov 2 infection because remember COVID 19 is having the virus plus having symptoms mm -hmm. so they never got COVID 19 they just got infected and then there's some individuals that get a little bit of a cold some who get really sick some who get hospitalized and some who, who die and there's so many people who know other people who say i got it i wasn't that sick i think it's just all hoopla i think it's all made up I think it's exaggerated, not made up, but I think they feel it's exaggerated mm -hmm. and it's just not that bad. And, and it's very hard to get around that. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of people will prefer to believe the easier way. Like, hey, if, if I can believe this, you know, I'm going to believe that it's not that bad. I'm just going to go with that because I don't want to really deal with the possible reality that this is as bad as everyone says it is. So it's a lot of things that go into it. I have always tried to practice empathy. I've always tried to listen to patients, do my best to educate but at the end of the day, it is called informed consent. My mm. job is to educate, not denigrate. Uh, my job is to make sure they have all the facts and then let them make the decision for themselves. And you are 100% right, Brother Tavis. There were people 
who on their deathbed in the hospital, we saw it over and over, said, man, I should have got that vaccine. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, I should have got that vaccine, I don't mean to make you political, but you'll take my point. Um, we are in a race for the White House. Um, and uh, again, not to get too deep in the weeds, but one of the persons running against Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination, as you know, is a guy named Robert Kennedy Jr. I've known uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy for some years now. We've had a number of candidates on our program, and um, we're working on getting uh, 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 Robert Kennedy uh, in, in studio uh, to talk to him about why he's running against Joe Biden for the Democratic uh, Party nomination. That said, Robert Kennedy um, gets taken to task all the time, and uh, as this campaign heats up, he'll get taken to task more for his commentary. He, he and I have had many conversations over the years about his thoughts about vaccines writ large. Uh, and so it's not just uh, black folk who don't trust this particular vaccine. There are people who just don't trust vaccines, period. Uh, again, not to make you political, um, uh, Bobby Kennedy and Robert Kennedy Jr. will respond to those um, questions himself. But, but, but broadly speaking, in 2023, you say what about the conversation that we're having about vaccines writ large? Well, you know, it's unfortunate, I feel, that we've had this, I say, I guess you would say, misinformation out there as it relates to vaccines. Um, those of us that are in biomedical research and that understand the history of them, understand the history of, of viruses and vaccines, understand the, the significant benefit uh, that they have had in numerous viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we understand the complexity that goes behind trying to make a vaccine. Um, and in understanding all of that, all of the data, all the real data, the good data, continuously shows that there is no link between vaccines and autism. There's, there's, it's just not there. Now, it doesn't mean that vaccines are perfect. It doesn't mean you can't get sick from a vaccine. You absolutely can. But what we're always doing is we're comparing how sick can you get? What are the possibilities of you getting this particular virus without the vaccine or getting this particular virus with the vaccine? You know, we basically have vaccines against hepatitis A. Mm-hmm. People don't have to know what it's, like, what it's like to go through liver failure because we have hepatitis A vaccine. We have hepatitis B vaccines, right? Um, individuals would feel differently, I think, if they were exposed to that virus and then they had to make a choice, right? Because just like you know, in the situation with pox, it's very interesting. We went through, people forget now. A year and a half ago, we were dealing with a smallpox. I'm not smallpox. We were dealing with this monkeypox, mm-hmm. right? And people saw what it looked like. It wasn't like maybe I could get sick or maybe I'd get a runny nose. It's, I don't want those giant blistery boils all over my skin. And a lot of those same individuals who were, have been anti-vaccine forever were like, no, nah, I want that vaccine. Mm-hmm. I don't want monkeypox. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird dynamic when people can actually see something. It's tangible. It isn't like some weird medical jargon. Um, and then how they, their opinion changes when they're exposed to that kind of in-your-face visualization. Yep. Um, let me come to this uh, as we uh, move to, toward uh, wrapping this conversation. Um, we've been talking with Dr. Robert Drummond, our resident physician, about this, uh, uh, this increase, this resurgence, if you will, of COVID-19. And I could have started our conversation here. And you, let me close with this, though. You've made it clear that we got to get used to this as the new normal. COVID-19 is here. It's here to stay, as you said repeatedly, and we got to get used to this. That said, in this particular moment, just because I'm curious, do we have any knowledge as to why the virus is 
I won't say making a comeback because you said it never left. Um, now you sound like LL Cool J. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Um, so you said, right. the, you said the virus never left. But do, do we have any, understand, any, any understanding of why it's resurging at this moment? Well, yeah, and I think the biggest thing is the two things that I mentioned earlier. It's a combination of both of those two. It's the natural over time, specifically six to nine months, you really get your circulating antibodies towards this virus have shown to just completely drop down for a lot of people. They really, really, really reduce. And then the second thing is the mutations that have happened that allow it to just evade and start infecting people again. So we already know that it already has a very high R not, right? Mm -hmm. the how infectious is this? It's almost as infectious as the measles, right? Way more infectious than the flu, way more infectious than other cold, cold viruses. So it's already always out there jumping around trying to infect people and cause sickness so that it can spread to other, other individuals. Yeah. The higher our immunity level, the more we're going to keep it at bay, the less we call susceptible victims that are out there in society. But once more and more people continue to have their immune system drop down a little bit in terms of those circulating antibodies, yeah. there are more susceptible hosts, and it makes it easier to just jump around and spread. And that's what, we're go that's what we see, and we're going to continue seeing that, I would say, for the, for near, for the near future. Got about 45 seconds left in conversation. Um, we had your partner on, your business partner on, not too, too long ago, talking about this, uh, this innovative work you all are doing in hair transplant uh, surgery for African Americans in particular. How's the business coming? The business is coming along uh, extraordinary. I mean, we are, we are revving up. We're expanding already. We're building an entire new area um, downstairs from our current location. Uh, we are at 150 South Rodeo Drive, right in the smack heart dab center of Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, California, um, offering everything as it relates to hair restoration and hair transplants. For men, for women, men are getting their beards back. Men are getting their mustaches and their goatees. Women who have been suffering from uh, what we call traction alopecia for years mm -hmm. due to braids are now getting their swag back. Everybody, come see us. <laughs> 150 South Rodeo Drive, Beverly Hills, California, Crown Hair Institute. Crown Hair Institute is the name of that program. Um, Dr. Drummond, good to have you back on. As always, my friend, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much.